slurp, slurp. <laughs> Welcome back to Cosmic Halitosis. Hello. It's been months. Months. We miss you. Yes. But we're but back. We're back in the 220. 2020. 220. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're here. You know, life's been living going on as normal. Um, any updates for us, Temba? I mean, you know, <laughs> just all the regular life shit. Uh, we definitely like we gotta get do another podcast. Man, um, we have some stuff that would be interesting to talk about, but I think we signed an NDA. Oh yeah, <laughs> it would be fun to talk about that eventually. Maybe yeah, in a couple months or something. An unnamed television show on an unnamed network. Uh, we went through an audition process to be on this unnamed. Uh, program which is always very funny um and interesting we get approached by we've gotten approached by a few quote docu-series but in reality it's just reality tv we've been approached by (laughs) several of them this year yeah it's weird reality tv we're always on the fence about it when people approach us because most of the time it's there's always like the potentiality of being exploited Oh, no, it's always exploitative. Okay, it's always exploitative <laughs> and unpaid, weirdly. Um, excuse me, I'm burping. Um, yeah, so this was one that we went out of our way to apply for because we felt that there was, like, a benefit to us doing so. Seemed interesting. But we can't talk about it, so we won't get too into it, but that's a little crumb that we'll sprinkle for six months from now yeah. when we can talk about it again. Um, but this podcast, we want to talk about uh, something that I'm going to go through, and I guess the reason for it, I guess we'll just say it straight up, uh, that I'm getting a vasectomy. Snip, snip. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so probably the next, this podcast, and maybe the next one, maybe the next two, mm. I just wanted to kind of document like what that process was like, because... After coming to the decision that, like, that was going to be uh, the method of birth control that we are now using, mm-hmm. um, I was, like, just, you know, researching online kind of about, like, what is it? What's it like to go through one? Um, how do people feel about it? Uh, I didn't find a whole lot of, like, I don't know, what I would consider like, realistic or just honest um, discussions or people just, yeah, people talking openly about what the experience was like for them. Um, It was just, you know, it was a lot of, like, really hard to one side people shouting, like, don't do it, don't let anyone make you do that, your wife's evil if she asked you to do it, or... Oh, really? Yeah, or, (laughs) yeah, people being like... Yeah, man, this is the best thing ever. Da 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 da. And they're just like, it's not. It, it can't. It, it, I'm like they're too extreme. Yeah, they're t- just too very extreme. There's no one in the middle, just kind of like, hey, it kind of sucked for a little bit afterwards because I was in pain. But you know what? After doing it, it was great. Or I really didn't like it. Or you know, it's just mm. pe- either people being like, it's amazing, or people being like horror stories. Or yeah. there's people like, don't ever let anyone cut you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What is the don't ever let anyone cut you crowd like? Is uh, that just like a like a like a you know e- emasculation emasculation fear thing? Um, castration fear crowd? Probably. I think there's a lot of like 
religious people in there too both mm. i mean it was mostly men um some some women but uh um yeah just kind of like uh, it's gonna like you can't can't ever get pregnant like well that's the point of it yeah well maybe we should talk a little bit about how we came to this not how we exactly how we came to this realization but like just kind of like backing up like knowing that we don't want to have children which is a whole other conversation prior to making the decision that we as a couple will never have children right that's something that we've both known since we got together i mean that's i think probably something we discussed super early on Mm -hmm. because it's something yeah that very relevant to our lives (laughs) relevant to whether relevant to partnerships you know what i mean for sure you got to be on the same page about that otherwise that's gonna be a there's a lot of people who get together completely not on the same page and they end up in situations where they're both not happy or, or or i mean i have friends who've been in partnerships where one really didn't want kids and the other one really did and through what I, we can never know the intricacies of how one gets the to the other side of that mm. but i definitely know people who have okay i guess i'm gonna have a kid that doesn't sound like I someone know. that wants to have a kid I that know. sounds like someone that you but know. like you also have to i think it's important in those <clears throat> situations to respect that people people's feelings might change their it's thoughts true. on the subject might change it's not always like coercion yeah you know what i mean i mean i guess for me I have just always known, like, Same. as a child, I, when people would ask me, oh, do you want to have a big family? I'm like, I don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my parents would laugh it off and like, oh, you'll change your mind when you get older. And, um, you know, that hasn't really changed. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I remember trying to like, um, <clears throat> I remember trying to like defiantly make my mom mad by telling her I didn't want kids this one time she was like how many kids do you want I was like none and she was like I understand that and I was super shocked because I was like oh like it actually like solidified my belief that I shouldn't have kids because I was like my mom is telling me like don't do it (laughs) like that should be a sign but yeah I've also always just felt like that I've always felt like very strongly that biological motherhood is not the only form of nurturance care for sure community building and kinship that has value and it's really important to me to like to follow that instinct yeah i 100 percent agree with that i don't i don't i don't i mean i don't think that the quote-unquote nuclear family is the best way i think it's more of like a village kind of a way Mm -hmm. like my parents split up when i was I don't know, I think around 11. So growing up all through my years, I had lots of like surrogate parents, Mm -hmm. like just, uh, you know, friends, moms or dads, or, you know, just, or older people in my life that kind of, you know, took on that kind of a role. Not that they were like trying to be my parent, but, you know, it was like an older person that I looked up to that um, I could go to and ask Mm -hmm. advice and stuff like that Mm -hmm. from um and i feel like i've i've been that to some degree to like some of my friends who have kids too Mm -hmm. um oh yeah being in the auntie or the uncle is way more attractive to me i mean i always thought i would uh 
be like a step parent kind of. I had like a weird yeah, feeling me too. about that. Me too. <laughs> no, exactly. I've always felt that same way. Like I've I've always felt more inclined towards adoption of some sort. Yeah, or, yeah. Or surrogacy or whatever you want to call it's it. It's interesting. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with it, but I don't. I just don't have that really strong drive like a lot of people are just like i want to i want a kid that's mine mm-hmm. like you have to pass on your genes mm-hmm. kind of thing i'm like there are so many children mm-hmm. that need to be adopted like that don't have um you know a, f- a family i just and don't sorry like just because they're not like your direct genetics like that kid like if you're raising that child that child is your you know, like mm-hmm bonded to you and you're bonded mm. bonded to them mm. like i don't think i don't understand why people are so obsessed with genetics like it doesn't shouldn't matter yeah like yeah any more than and like it doesn't matter i mean think yeah. about how many how many deep and abiding friendships and love loves you can have for people who aren't biologically connected to you, you yeah know? i think that's like a myth a bio like a myth of like biological kinship blood bonds being so strong that i hope kind of like continues to i don't know if devolve is the right word evolve Mm. or something into understanding that like the most i don't know i don't know what word i'm looking for like the most like cogenerative communities we can create aren't based on blood bonds you know no they're based on people reaching across across certain differences genetic and otherwise and finding commonalities yeah it's about those connections it's about the interpersonal connections and like what someone looks like what their skin color is what who their their parentage happens to be like that has nothing to do with it it's just like i also think it's funny like when people ask us if we're gonna have kids that's always like an interesting conversation and usually they probably ask us separately right and they'll yeah. say stuff like, oh my god, but you guys would have such cute babies. And that's also something that, like, I've never felt, like, a connection to this idea of, like, looking at your partner and imagining, like, how cute your babies would be. Like, I don't understand that fetishization mm. of, like, of like genetic uh, mingling that people have about their kids, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we would have cute babies, but it's, like, not a thought that, like would ever come to mind if people weren't saying those things. I just mm-hmm. don't think I have that, like, thing that's like, mm, I'm going to mix me jeans up with you and you mean you mean your baby. <laughs> I just don't have it. And probably a lot of people don't have it, but there's a lot of enculturation There's a lot of stigma it. against people who don't want to have children. Choosing like, to be child-free is, yeah. like, definitely, anytime someone brings it up in conversation, it's like, what? Yeah, it's, I don't know. But back to the reasons. Yes. Um, other birth controls. Yeah. Like you've you've. Ex- I'm not. I don't know. Sorry experiments about my the right word, I but you've I have, like a cold or something. You've experienced. Um, oh. Lots of different forms. Yeah, I've done a few. I've done a few. So I was on orthotricycline, which is a a, a form of hormonal birth control pill that they put me on when I was 16 to pre-treat possible cystic acne. So I didn't have cystic acne, but my mom did and my brother did, and it was p- 
possible that I would as well. Plus, you got to fuck. Yeah, well, I just remember. <laughs> so it was like the the dermatologist in my hometown is like good friends with my parents too, and I just remember I felt like she was kind of like giving me a look, like you're gonna be a slut, and, <laughs> and I think she was trying to like help my parents out. To be perfectly honest, or whatever, she was just doing her job because that's what they were prescribing for teens in the '90s, right, or in the early aughts. So she pre- prescribed me that. I just, like, remember walking out to the car where my dad was waiting and being like, I get to fuck now. And I just was like, I didn't I didn't have a boyfriend. I'd never had sex before. But I just remember being like, okay. And then a few months later, I had a boyfriend. And a few months after that, I had sex for the first time. So it was definitely like, all right, we're having sex now. Definitely helped me <laughs> crack that. But, um, yeah, I got uh, birth control... That birth control, you know, worked well for me. I was 16, so I really didn't know what was normal in my body. Yeah, all your hormones are raging. Everything's like Everything's in all, turmoil. Uh, who knows what's going on? So it's like I was on that for eight years as my body was continuing to develop as a, as a young woman. So I had no idea what the normal was or what it was doing to me. I know my boobs got super, super big compared to the rest of my body at that time. And then... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it prevented cystic acne or not. I never got cystic acne the way my my mom and my brother did, but who knows? I still had like breakouts and stuff. But yeah, I was on that until I was 24 years old. And that one of the things that I learned about it when I was in college, I took a biology of the sexes class and the professor pointed uh noted this study that had shown that women on birth control um do not detect pheromones the same way as when they're off birth control. Yeah. She, she was basically like, do not choose your life partner when you're on birth control because your body's not picking up on the the cues that it normally would pick up, pick up on. And that really struck me because something that was happening to me every time I would forget to take birth control or I'd forget to um, do like a, a, a refill on my prescription, mm-hmm. I'd go off it for like a week or so. And my partner at the time, who had been with for, like, five or six years at that point, I was just, like, repulsed by his smell. Mm. I wouldn't be able to, like, be near him or touch him. Like, it was really, like, a really significant thing that I just didn't know what it was until later I took that class and was like, oh, shit. And then I noticed it probably somewhere towards the end of our relationship when I went off it for a little while and, again, was just, like, this, like, my body is being like, this is not the person for you. Which is pretty weird, you know, it's like, what does the person for you mean on a biological level? That's just your body's saying, are you fit to reproduce or not, right? Isn't that what pheromones essentially are? Yeah, I think I think something in that has to do with genetic com- compatibility We were probably well. too close to relation. Even I think his mom tried to, exp- like, she went into our... She, she family was, treed your ass? She was trying, yeah, she was always trying to, like, break us up, essentially, and, like, uh she went back and tried to figure out if we were like related yes and i think she like found some kind of evidence that we were related but i mean maybe we weren't my the pheromones fourth and a half yeah exactly but my body was being like don't do it you know yeah don't reproduce in this way so it's interesting then i was off birth control for oh probably like three years or something and just using whatever <laughs> slapdash methods of birth control I was using, probably condoms sometimes. And uh, then I got uh, an IUD, a copper Paragard IUD, which was a nightmare for me. I had it for about four months. 
and it was uh, just awful. Do you, do you want me to go into the copper stuff? Because you know I can go off on this. <laughs> Maybe just like a little abridged. <sighs> it's I mean, hard for me I, to abridge it. You know, I had no idea, and lots of people have no idea. Yeah. Because it's, you know... It's... Well, so maybe you can speak to, like, you, you've you had partners with the Copper IUD who liked the Copper IUD and yeah, had a good experience I've had with it. Part- yeah, I've had partners and a few friends who have had it and and liked it. Um, My feeling always but... with that, too, is, like, it's kind of like with... The hormonal birth control it's like if you don't know it's i'm not saying this about the people you're talking about but if you don't know what your normal is it's like how can you know what it's doing to you and i think like a lot of pharmaceuticals are like that where like you get there's like a list of 17 side effects that could be you have the common cold or could be a side effect you know what i mean yeah. it's like there's so many i think i just have such a distrust of like all pharmaceuticals essentially and especially after these experiences that i've had of like how do you even know how something's truly affecting you mm-hmm. you could be like oh i'm really depressed all of a sudden and not know that it's linked to something you're taking or something that's implanted in your body or whatever you know i think there's like it just gets really scary and what's scary about the iud there are some class action lawsuits about paragard now they're starting to come out but the class action lawsuits that exist now are about how they Paragard gets implanted in your uterus or breaks upon removal and can like se- you know severely damage your your cervix or uterus or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the the issue that I had with it was um, something called copper toxicity, which isn't well documented with the Paragard, which is where some people who already have a higher level of copper in their body, if you add that much more copper, which is being constantly pumped into your bloodstream through the like very delicate tissue of your uterus like it's not like it just stays in your uterus it absorbs into you it absorbs into your entire bloodstream it's like a um an immediate imbalance happens in your body for some people that imbalance is like easy to write for whatever reason for some people it's like an overflow too much copper in their blood and um, that can cause like a bunch of different symptoms for me it was like a very scary um psychological experience where i felt uh, like a psychotic split kind of like voices yelling in my head like a really heightened like scary uh, emotional state that I knew wasn't normal and it took me about four months to figure out it wasn't normal for me and then I was able to have the the Paragard removed and over the course of several months start to like feel a little better as it detoxed in my bloodstream. I also read a book recently called Catfishing the IUD which was is actually the first book that's been written about the copper IUD having like an extreme medical, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Just having like an extreme effect on somebody, Mm. someone who, uh, developed rheumatoid rheumatoid arthritis almost immediately after having the copper IUD put in them because something about the levels of the copper in her body, uh, triggered triggered an autoimmune response or an immune response that triggered rheumatoid arthritis, which she now has for the rest of her life because of four days that she had the copper IUD in her. Oh. And it's just like, it's, it's just, it's, and then she also went in, in that book, she goes into all these forums, which is all there is because there's so much medical gaslighting <laughs> around women's health or, or people with uteruses health and their bodies and what's normal and what's not and what they do or don't feel um, being true or not, there's just tons of that in the medical industry, like more 
prominently with black or brown people, especially being gaslit and not cared for. <coughs> anyway, you wanted the short version. I told you <laughs> I would go off if you gave me an inch. So my point is uh, there. So I have a lot of distrust of both most birth control methods and the methods we've been using are barrier methods. We've used a diaphragm yeah. with um, a, a lactic acid uh, spermicide for about three years. And that's no longer working for us. Um, um, what else? Condoms, condoms are... They, yeah, I mean, condoms don't fit. <laughs> condoms can't stay Simply. on his pee. Um, I feel like, you know, we were talking about this before, kind of like, um, I feel like earlier in my life, like condoms, um, like I can't, so, sometimes it's very difficult to, not that you always have to orgasm when you're, when you're having se- uh, penetrative sex or sex in general. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult to orgasm wearing condoms. Um, and I know a lot of people are, are I mean, pr- professionals are like, kind of trying to propagate this myth about like feel sensation in condoms, but it does not feel the same. No, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I don't believe in saying that like it, maybe for some people it's not a perceptible difference but for me personally um there is uh even like magnum xls are like choking the fuck out of my dick (laughs) i can testify i've watched Um, it (laughs) it looks extremely uncomfortable i'm not trying to like brag about the size of my penis or anything but there i haven't found a condom that fits Mm. me well have you ever um, tried some of the newer ones, like Lilo, Hex, or Skins? I haven't, Skins? no. Because there, there's definitely some newer, newer ones, which we haven't tried. Yeah. Which we always could try, but it is like one of those, kind of like taking birth control, it's like a guess and test thing. You yeah. guess and test, and you it's not as big of an investment as like going on some course of hormonal birth control, but it's like, you're spending money to find out if something fails. Yeah. Like, we have a couple boxes of condoms that are just sitting not going to work, you know? Yeah. I mean, and they break too, and mm. um, yeah, we. I feel like I personally would rather just know 100% this is going to work, you know? Mm-hmm. We were kind of talking about birth control, some of the birth control options that you've used, um, and there's, you know, there's not very many options if you happen to be a person with a penis. Mm. There's, you know, there's condoms or a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or having partners who who don't who, yeah who don't have well, I mean right? uh, sorry uh, having partners who don't have reproductive like organs like, yeah right but I mean that's not really a that's not our issue birth control met that's true um of <laughs> 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 less well, well you could get a hysterectomy or be born with yeah um but uh yeah the, I mean there's a lot you know. People, I forget where, we were watching some program about sex, and they were talking about... Sex Explained. Yeah, uh, how male birth control has been, like, just around the corner since, like, For the like 30 60s years. or the yeah. 70s, and they never really, you know... Um, and the one male birth control that is in, is in clinical trials is being self-funded by the person who's mm, been working wow. on it. And that's the one that's the gel that's... Uh, injected into the vas deferens mm-hmm. that immobilizes the sperm yeah right and that one sounds like it could be cool because it's reversible as opposed to a vasectomy yeah um 
it's all again like a syringe a, a syringe based one and then but if you want to at some point have a, a pre- create have a pregnancy then you can have it dissolved and yeah and still have viable sperm or whatever yeah i mean i personally don't i like i'm 100% okay with permanent yeah i think as foolproof as it can be sounds great yeah <laughs> and i i would if if getting a uh what is it called tubal ligation tubal ligation wasn't as intense of a procedure i would be very open to doing that yeah it seems like the surgery of that is it's a bit more complicated and like a, i think i remember reading that there's a lot more risk involved than versus uh vasectomy mm. But let's talk then about the risks, some of the things that mm. when you were reading the forums, some of the, and, and also maybe just about your um, feelings about medical intervention. Let's see if I can remember some of the risks. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a, um, I mean, there, I guess there, there's a risk of, uh, impotence isn't the right word because that's what you're going for, but uh, erectile dysfunction. Um, I, I think most of these are kind of like a slight risk. Um, there's a, you can get like a hematoma, which is like a, like. Blood like, clot on the skin? Hmm? Is it like a blood clot on the it's skin? It's like blood clot, like internal blood clot. Oh. So like your testicles would kind of swell up with mm. blood. Um, there's another thing. I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically where sperm just keeps leaking into mm-hmm. your into your scrotum mm-hmm. and you get like a like a mass kind of thing that you have to get i think it's removed um there's a very small chance that the vas deferens grow back together and you still have and then you would still you would be yeah it's, it, plausible i mean to it would impregnate. just be like it yeah it heals itself yeah. um but I, like part of the process is i i guess there's a couple different ways they do it but um i think the way that's going to be done to me is where they cut it and then they cauterize um i don't know if it's both ends but it, the tube yeah so they take like a heating element and basically burn it uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so do you want to talk about what that's like for you as someone who hasn't had too much medical intervention in your life yeah um i guess the biggest hurdle for me is just wrapping around wrapping my brain around getting surgery um like for me i guess um like i was raised in a pretty like hippie kind of way like uh no doc no western medicine all like kind of like hippie healing homeopathic shit so you didn't go Um, to the doctor every didn't really go to the doctor no none of that stuff um i was not yeah not vaccinated um so for me like mentally there's kind of like a weird uh thing i'm wrestling with of like not wanting to have medical intervention throughout your life Mm, not a purity thing i mean i mean there's a certain amount of pride i guess yeah in being like a super healthy person that's never had any of these like you know that hasn't relied on western medicine but that is a bit of Um, like an able like that's an ableist stance you know what i mean because like I think it's important to remember that that can uh, anything can happen to any of us yeah, at any true. time, and none of us are immune from being 
disabled, you know? Oh, of course. I, I think it's more, it's more along not using, like, Western preventative medicine. I don't, like, you know, it's, I've never gotten a flu shot mm-hmm. or, um, I, to me, it's more about kind of rebelling against this commercialized medical system. Mm-hmm. and Which is, I just have to say this again, because I think it's important to unpack it, that that is a privilege. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's people born in, in, like, hunter-gatherer tribes and... That was our door. Oh. Someone knocking? No, it was the screen door. Um, Where is it going? Oh, people born in like in the few like hunter-gatherer civilizations that we have left that are using plant medicine and their traditional medicines. To me, it's more about rejecting the notion that we have to have pharmaceuticals shoved down our throats. Yes. Um, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with choosing to do that if that's what works for you in your situation. Well, no, but it's like more than that. It's like people who have uh, health issues or uh, degenerative diseases or like that's not, I think, because I totally feel what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that I stay away from as much of that as I can, you know? But I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that comes from a, a place of, of, like, able, healthy privilege. You know yeah. what I mean? There's a lot of people who don't, who literally, who, who will just die. Yeah. I yeah. mean, there's, yeah. you know, there's, uh, that's part of what what's, what's hard for me in going into this. Mm-hmm. Because I feel, you know, I have a broken a broke, torn ligament in my knee that I live with every day, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm not getting surgery for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've managed to be able to maintain like a level of, of activity that mm-hmm. I can, but you've seen me when it's gone out. Mm-hmm. Like I can't walk mm-hmm. for a week mm-hmm. if something happens to my knee. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I feel, I don't know. I don't, I wrestle a lot with, like, I don't, first of all, I don't have the money to get surgery on it, but mm-hmm. if I did, I don't know that if I would, mm. like... You'd rather just live with the... Yeah, I don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't want that medical intervention, mm-hmm. like, so for me, like, in my consciousness, that's what, yeah. this is not, you know, it's not something, it's not, like... Maybe I would feel different about my knee if, like, I couldn't walk at all. Right. I think you would. Um, and that's... But a this poten- is... And that is a potentiality. Yeah. Of a, of a you know... I, I don't know about a torn ligament, but I would imagine it degenerates over the course of your life. I'm sure it's, you know, because it's putting other parts of my knee are having to compensate for it, so they're wearing out faster. Right. Um, but... Yeah, this, like this kind of not being something essential for my survival or my mobility, you know. Mm. Um, I don't know. But yeah, it's like a... It's a weird thing to think about 
because I think for some other people that maybe grew up inside of a Western medical system, they're like, oh, yeah, fine, I'll do this. Whereas that's not my experience. My experience is living outside of that. Where, you know, if I was sick, my parents gave me, like, herbal tinctures. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think we did have this discussion, too, that, like, it's also the responsibility of birth control generally falls more on the person with the uterus, the person mm-hmm. who's can be impregnated. And that's just culturally how it is. You know, the, the choice to have a vasectomy is not a choice. Most people are mo- uh, most people with penises or I think we have to be more specific than penises, right? Um, people with t- testicles, people who produce sperm. Cause some people have yeah. penises and don't right. Produce yeah. Sperm. Um, <clears throat> that that's not a responsibility that falls on those people and that for people with uteruses that responsibility is almost not an, it's not uh, for many people an option I mean you can choose other birth control options that aren't intervention like uh, hormonal or implants or whatever mm-hmm. but it does tend to fall on us to take that uh, upon ourselves to be medically to have medical intervention not whether we want it or not but kind of like if we don't want to get pregnant yeah i mean that i feel like that's also you know you hear kind of like these jokes about well if men had birth control there wouldn't be any babies i think there's also i haven't heard that i feel like the i feel like the argument i often hear is we can't trust men to have birth control I hear a lot of, I feel like I hear a lot of people saying, like, if men had birth control, it wouldn't be effective. Like, men wouldn't be able to take it with the effectiveness because they're not the ones who are going to have to carry the baby. That's how I've heard it put out. I've heard, I mean, the way I, I say that, I've heard Maybe like, it's, it depends on it who depends you're hanging on who out. You're, or it depends on, yeah, <laughs> what, uh, what perspective you're coming from as well. Yeah. Um, there are lots of men that want, you know, yeah. options. Like, yeah. I, it's not fair that men don't have, like, more options, uh, more options mm-hmm. or to to have um, a say, you know, in their in their reproduction. Right. I think like. I think it's interesting that more hasn't been invested in that, and I've always gotten the feeling I don't know why that is. You know, I mean, I know like from that documentary we were watching or that episode of Sex Explained we were watching, there's there was like so much experimentation happening happening on like people people with uteruses and and birth control, whereas the people with testicles <laughs> um, who tried birth con- like male birth control trials found the side effects which were the same if not less than the ones that people that other that quote female forms of birth control had they just couldn't abide by the side effects Mm -hmm. you know and that to me is more of a uh i don't know if sexism is the right term but like there's an inherent sexism in birth control too you know that uh things that uh that people with uteruses are just made to abide by and made to tolerate are considered intolerable by uh, people with semen mm. tubes. 
I mean, I think also just that was one form of birth control. Like, just the fact that they've been, you know, it's been dangled that something's coming since Mm -hmm. the 70s and we see nothing. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, you know, money's not being put into that. Research isn't being put into that. But that's what I'm saying is, like, why isn't it being put in? And some of that was that in the clinical, that in that example in the clinical trials. But that's one one. That's one. I know, but but I wonder if that's part of why, part of why more research hasn't been done, part of why more uh, clinical trials haven't been done is because it's not, the onus is not on men to go through that same, uh, sometimes violent, sometimes terrifying, sometimes extremely uncomfortable, sometimes debilitating experience of choosing a birth control that works for them. Mm-hmm. That 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 people with uteruses are just by rote expect like by by matter of course expected to go through. And part of that is like you know also packaged as quote women's empowerment. Yeah, like you have the right to choose your poison or whatever you know it's kind of like some wild shit well yeah i mean i think it's sexist that there's not options for Mm -hmm. men too i mean yeah yeah i mean there's i can definitely see like when the pill you know came into being Mm -hmm. it being you know a liberating thing for people right you know for people with uteruses and ovaries Mm -hmm. that were capable of reproducing Mm -hmm. to put to have that control and and you know that opens up you know at least back then you know it's mostly for white women that had the ability to go to school or, mm-hmm. or the resources mm-hmm. um and you know not just end up being pregnant as a young woman mm-hmm. and not being able to pursue other things that they may have wanted to mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah certainly i mean that's that's kind of the shit with like you know capitalism in the medical system is that mm-hmm. you want repeat customers and right um so yeah it kind of turned into this I want to get back to the side effects and stuff you were talking about too so because I think that that's important because like you were saying on the forums it's either people being like horror story or like this was great da 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 done and done right and I think people knowing that there are side effects which I didn't know until you started researching it like my thought from what I what little I had read or heard about or known about it is it was a, a simple snip and you're done and you're you're good to go, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's not quite the case, and I think that's important to realize too to not minimize the invasiveness of it because mm-hmm. it is an invasive surgery, and we've talked about this too. Is like to minimize what you're choosing to put yourself through is no more fair than the people who minimized what I went through with the IUD, for example. Yeah. Right. It's really important to create like equity there in a sense that like you are choosing a birth control it's not without risk it's not without uh a recovery without invasion without discomfort and you know that that's uh that's important to realize too because it could also create you know that creates a more realistic vision of it for other people who you know have uh, sperm reproduction. I don't know how to say this. <laughs> this like the most inclusive way of say saying penis and testicle. Penis and testicle. I wonder. Penis and testicle people. 
people. <laughs> I don't like saying owners because that's like a capitalistic regime. Yeah, like I people own my who genitals. have a penis and testicle. Yeah, people who have a penis and, and testicle testicles. Um, uh, to give a realistic vision of what that procedure is like and to make it more accessible in a sense not just like oh it's great don't worry about it or like yeah, it's oh not, it's horrifying they're cutting I mean, my penis off fears you know thing, it's you know? it's fucking surgery yeah. there's it's granted it's probably on the low end of surgeries because mm-hmm. you're not you're not being put under mm-hmm. um and it's not you know you're not removing organs or anything like that it's like they're I making gotta a go decision to my thing soon. oh how much time do you have uh we can we can keep talking for like okay. 20 minutes um, but you know, th- I think the other the things I stated before were the main kind of things that could go wrong. That I can remember, you know, other than the obvious things like an infection, because you know you're being you're making an, an incision. Um, I think a lot of people were kind of reporting like, or so, yeah, some people were reporting that can be pretty painful for the days after, like kind of being like kicked in the nuts um having that feeling kind of for a few days afterwards and if you don't have testicles it's hard to imagine what that is um yeah talk about what that pain feels like um and of course we all experience pain differently blah 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 mm-hmm. um <clears throat> but yeah they're just i don't know i couldn't find a whole lot of just kind of measured discussion about what the experience is like so i'm hoping well, to it, be able to yeah. uh after i yeah after i get it done be able to talk about like mm-hmm. what it is maybe you could write about it too um, for something you know i hate writing i know maybe you could maybe you could dictate and then uh dictate and uh tra- transcribe but something yeah. to just give because i think it it's uh i mean there are things out there about it but also to give your point of view as someone who hadn't had who hasn't had much me- medical intervention in their life? I know yeah. that's like a specific point of view, but I think it it adds to this. It, it it helps to temper this idea that oh, it's just a simple snip snip and you're done. Yeah, kind it's of thing. not it's not simple for everyone. Like to me, right. this is going to be my first surgery. Major surgery, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's weird. It's a and and I guess you talked a little bit too about like. Um, like sterile like uh, yeah another kind of thing yeah the history of sterilization you know i mean same thing with like the pill the pill was basically uh tested on black and brown people especially people living in puerto rico without their knowledge mm-hmm. um and you know this country has a really crazy history of experimenting i mean not just medical experimentation on black people and brown people but specifically you know like in the field of medicine when it deals with like sexuality or sexual function mm-hmm. um and you know there was the whole eugenics movement and you know there was forced sterilization like legal forced sterilization like we live in california in california mm-hmm. there was a bill i can't remember what it's called but where yeah you know, they could legally sterilize men and men and women and did sterilize many black men just just black men and women or uh also uh latina latino latinx people um so that's also a really weird thing to think about that i'm like electing to have this thing that they used to do used to do to people 
that looked like that looked like me. Um, and it, I'm is... going to Planned Parenthood to right. do it, which was started by a racist eugenics person. <laughs> right. Which like do you, I mean? So yeah. So it's 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 kind of triggering and um, touching on some of those historical things. And maybe not triggering isn't the right word, or is it like an epigenetic reaction in a sense? Like, I mean, it's it's just it's just an awareness. It's just something. Yeah, it's something that affects me. It's like yes, I'm choosing to do this, but it's also it's like it's part of a man. fucked up regime. Yeah, <laughs> it's, part, it's part you you can't extract yourself from the fucked up history that created this procedure. And the, the history of the institution well, not, where you're going to have the procedure made. Like, I'm not sure it's the the thing that created the procedure. I can't remember the exact yeah, history of that. Know. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I mean, we've talked about this before, too. Um, we've both gone to Planned Parenthood for various reasons mm-hmm. and have had not the best experiences there just for... Sometimes it's been good. Yeah. For me, I mean, I've been many, many times in my life since I was 16, and sometimes it's been good, and I've had a couple that were like, what in the fuck was that? Yeah. That was That was straight violent for no reason. There's, you know, you can't downplay that they provide a very needed service, and they're one of the only people, people, organizations that in some areas of the world or the country... Um, they may be the only only organization that provides some of the things that they provide, um, but, but yeah, there's still, there's, there's still... a lot. I've experienced a lot of really sex negativity in this organization mm-hmm. that you know is supposed to be a um, something helping people where they don't have anywhere else to go for for some of the services they provide in some communities. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about my when I went for my consultation for a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the first person when I get called into uh, my evaluation, I guess that's what it was called, um, didn't know I was there for a vasectomy. <laughs> There's nothing on your chart that they were. No, they she she was, it? she was reading my paperwork and like as I was signing things and was like, I forget what she started talking to me about and I was like I'm here for I think it was like maybe an STI test or something and I was like I'm here for a vasectomy and she just kind of got deer in the headlights and was like oh I don't know how to do the intake for that I have a feeling you're the same person I had she was kind of like they didn't I didn't know that's what you were here for and like was like I'm gonna go see if there's someone else that knows more about that and like left (laughs) me in the room for like 20 minutes and I was like so long I was like, oh, shit, what is happening? <laughs> um, but eventually came back and was like, oh, yeah, I can do it. So I was kind of, like, left with this feeling of, like, oh, no, is this the right thing for me? If they yeah. don't they don't even have their shit together to know why I'm here. And this yeah. person it clearly doesn't seem confident in their ability to yeah. talk to me about Scary. this. But it was just... It was just, like, yeah, it was, it was just the intake. So it was just like, okay, I'm going to sit here and keep you know, see this thing through. Um, and after that, I met with, uh, I guess what I found later was one of the nurse practitioners at the office who was kind of like, um, I'm going to get ask you some questions, give you a little bit of a physical exam to make sure um, that you are a good candidate for vasectomy and then answer any questions that you may have. Um 
And so, yeah, I pass all the physical things and start asking questions. And it turns out this person has never been present for a vasectomy or anything. And I was like, wow, I was kind of hoping to get questions answered about like the actual procedure, Mm -hmm. but they didn't Mm -hmm. like the things they were able to answer were all things I read on the internet. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that kind of also left me feeling a bit wary. What I did really appreciate though, like during the physical examination, they were like asking if I had any, like had had any infections or anything like that. And um, told them that I have HSV-1 and they were like, oh yeah, so do you and like 90% of the population. And I was like a little bit scared to tell them because I wasn't sure, like that was the first person I didn't know that I was telling mm-hmm. that I have HSV-1. And um, yeah, it was just really nice that they were like, you know, as it should be, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Most people in the world have it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, that was that was the first visit. And it didn't leave you with a lot of confidence, I remember. You were like, yeah. and, and I was kind of like, from my perspective, you know, was like, you know, if this isn't feeling right for you, this isn't right for us, you know? Mm-hmm. As I know you were feeling really scared after that first visit and nervous, especially after that, right? Yeah, just I wasn't left feeling that they were super competent in what they were going to do in terms of a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted, it's a doctor that's going to be doing it, a urologist, and um, they don't have, you know, on-staff doctors that are, like, in the office. Most of their doctors, you know, are... are come in to work with them on procedure days kind of mm-hmm. so I wasn't able to like meet that doctor or you know for you know security reasons they they can't really give you their name until the day of which is understandable considering you know how some people feel about pran- Planned Parenthood um, but yeah I was just left yeah feeling very unsure mm-hmm. about the competency mm. but yeah, like you were saying, you were, you were telling me I didn't have, you know, didn't have to do it if it didn't feel right. And, um, I was also I, really urging you to, like, you know, may, you know, maybe this office wasn't the one to do. Maybe there were better offices. Yeah, but better, I feel like they were going to... But you are going to go to a different location, right? Yeah, but, I mean, I would have ended up with the same doctor anyways. Yeah, because there's only one. Yeah. Essentially. <laughs> Which is intense, like... Yeah, I mean, it's it's still, it's a little scary not being able to know who this doctor is or, like, mm-hmm. you know, be able to Google them and just be like, oh, okay, they've been practicing for 30 years mm-hmm. or whatever, or they've done, like, they've done, like, you know, 11,000 vasectomies like, do they before. they have, like, a Yelp where someone can yeah. be like... <laughs> it's so, so nice. I'm, yeah, in the beginning of March, I'm going to have a blind vasectomy. <laughs> And I'm going to drive you home, because that's recommended, right? You can't drive yourself home. Um, you can. They say if you if you don't have anyone that can drive you home, they just keep you there a little longer in the, like, Waiting. decompress room or I whatever see. it is. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> so that's, that's, the sto- that's the story. That's the story. Um, 
Yeah, probably. I guess next podcast I'll do we'll do after I have it and just kind of talk about what that's like. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel now I feel slightly less nervous than I did at the beginning of like going through all this. I'm still like have a little bit of anxiety about like because some of the descriptions of people I saw they like said they can feel still feel like tugging inside their scrotum Mm -hmm. and I'm like ooh you don't like the idea of having that awareness no I wish I could be knocked out for it really yeah I know (laughs) I wish that was an option I mean it is if you go to a fancy or like some of the when I was um, googling vasectomies there's like really fancy urologist you can go to and it's a whole like pampered experience yeah. but mm. you know I understand <laughs> it too because like you know to get put under is a really dangerous thing that's why like anesthesiologists get paid so much because it's it's a fucking tricky thing to put somebody under mm-hmm. and you know if it's you know it's a procedure like this where it's so quick it's I, I think they said it's like 5 to 15 mm-hmm. minutes mm-hmm. Um, to do it's not worth all that um, yeah, it's not like, it's not like you gotta open my chest cavity and like yeah. get behind my spleen or whatever to reach <laughs> some other organ. So it's like, yeah, I get that. What about the runaround you had to go through and like setting up your appointment? Oh yeah, so can I go pee while you talk about this? Sure. After, so after my um, initial consultation, they're like, we will contact you in a month to make sure you still want to get it done because I guess. They're trying to avoid people like being gung ho about getting it done and then changing their minds after because it's you can reverse it, but it's really expensive and there's not a very high success rate re- reversing vasectomies. Um, so there's like a month incubation period to make sure you still want to do it. Um, and a month passes and I get a call like they leave a, a voicemail because I don't answer unknown numbers. <laughs> And, uh, so I get the voicemail, this is so-and-so from Planned Parent or the doctor's office about your procedure, uh, we'd like to schedule you, our next available date is blah blah blah. So I call them back, leave a message, a week passes, don't hear anything back, call them again, go straight to voicemail, leave them another message. So about a month goes by of me calling one to two times a week, just leaving messages, hey, trying to set up my appointment, trying to set up my appointment. And finally, I like get nothing back. And finally, I, I end up just calling, instead of the person who does the scheduling's direct line, I just call the Planned Parenthood office and um, speak to someone and give them their, my name and stuff. And I'm like, hey, I'm just, I'm trying to get this thing scheduled. The person I have contact information hasn't been calling me back. And they're like, oh, yeah, you have your vasectomy scheduled in, like, two weeks <laughs> at this time in West Hollywood. And I'm like, wait, wait, how do I have this scheduled when I've never spoken to anyone about setting up this date? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, okay. So not, not, well, a, not a canc- huge vote of confidence. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, uh, cancel, or I need to reschedule that one because I don't have enough time to make sure I have the day off to get it done, and then the two recovery days after that I need to get off for work. Um, But, yeah. 
so that yeah those kind of i understand like i'm sure they are like extremely overworked, overworked with not enough staff and funding but still just... and also this is not your first time going to seek a vasectomy right no yeah i tried to get one in my late 20s like mid to late 20s and they straight up told me i couldn't get one because of my age in the state of utah right yeah they were like no we won't do that for you too young and i was like oh okay (laughs) so that's interesting too about like this idea of choice yeah, not really I mean, this being is extended. What... Not really being extended to you the way it's extended to me. Yeah, this granted, is... my choices are still like not all great. I mean, there's no. I mean, I don't think I, right now there aren't any great choices. There's no like non-hormonal, no no side effect, like mm-hmm. easily 100 percent effective, easy things mm-hmm. for anyone. Right. But abstinence. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. Uh, <laughs> Rude. But you know, even. The few choices that people who happen to have a penis and testicles have, you know, were not able to to get some of those, mm-hmm. you know. I think that's yeah. I think it's really weird to just be like, oh, you don't know what you want. You know what I mean? Like to say yeah. that because of someone's age, it's hugely, they don't yeah, have the wherewithal to say, I know I don't want to have a kid. Yeah, and. Yeah, it's, it's fucked. I think that's the, also the case with many uh, people with wombs that if they go to get a hysterectomy, they have to have had a child. They will often mm. not be allowed to get a hysterectomy or a tubal ligation without having had one child, which yeah. is just archaic and weird, you know? Yeah, that, like, you have to ha- prove... <laughs> don't tell me what I want to do with my body and don't yeah. tell me, like... My site of production, my choice, my... Yeah. my means to seize that's what i like to say and it's you know these days everything they make you sign a million like legal documents if someone gets that and they regret it like that is you know theirs to sit with Mm -hmm. that's like they make you wait a month but you see you can't reasonable yeah you can't just but they don't make you do that when they shove a foreign object in your uterus, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. They're not I like, mean, I mean, that's reversible. It's probably because it's not permanent. Yeah, yeah but. but 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 that's the issue with that is that there are, can be side effects that are irreversible. Mm-hmm. And that's what the pharmaceutical companies are, you know, banking on hiding. Oh, yeah. You know, because I mean, that's how they sell their product. I mean, they, they list a lot of the side effects and there are a lot of fucking side effects. Blood clots, you know. Just for, like, hormonal birth control, for example, like, death, increased risk of blood clots if you smoke, all these things, you know? But there's so many, I think, that go unmentioned or go ignored or go uh, gaslighted, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're just kind of, like, expected to, to deal with it. But, yeah, a month to for an irreversible procedure, I mean, I feel like that's pretty... Well, it's, it's reversible, it's just really expensive mm. and it's not a super high mm. uh success rate what if they made you like when you got went and did the pregnancy test we're like you're pregnant we're gonna give you a month to decide what you want to do about that because that's not <laughs> fucking reversible <laughs> you know what i mean though it's just there's such a like i don't know i just feel like there's such a there's uh, obviously such a premium placed on reproduction as the highest good as opposed yeah. to opting out of reproduction as, like, a slightly weird thing to do, you know? Yeah. Like, you're an animal. You're supposed to reproduce. 
folks? Little products of the uh, products for the pseudo for the labor, pseudo Puritan labor capitalist force. system that we're in. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to add one more thing before uh, we head out because I do have to start to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we are going to undertake. We're going to try to undertake a more rigid induced lactation protocol coming up, right? Yeah. Did we even talk about induced lactation? We haven't talked about it, so we'll dangle this carrot, I guess, (laughs) for another episode. But I'm going to be going to Norway, Oslo, Norway, next month for a two-week artist residency. Um, And I'm going to be taking this little breast pump that we got off of Craigslist for free. Hell yeah, Craigslist. (laughs) Craigslist free. (laughs) I'm taking this Medela breast pump with me, um, and I'm going to continue to try to induce lactation, something that... We have been able to do. Yeah, we've induced lactation. We want to like increase. Increase my lactation. So right now I'm able to um, with uh, usually I let Temba. What do we call it? Express. Express my my breasts, and I get a couple drops a day. Sometimes, sometimes there's like there's like a good like four or five sometimes yeah. on like a good heavy day. We are not <laughs> we're not on any kind of induced lactation schedule. We're not no. we're not breastfeeding every few months or every few every few hours for 20 minutes at a time or per breast or anything like that, which we should be doing if we want to create a lot of milk. But we're very excited about the fact that I can create milk, that I have begun to create milk seemingly just from casual nipple stimulation over the course of our days together, right? Yeah. I think that's what we're assuming it's from. At first, I was like, oh, my God, do I have breast cancer? What is going on? <laughs> there was Tempo, a bit of a freak out. There were some freak outs when we first noticed the drops, but we've come to accept that I'm just able to lactate, um, and we want to uh, explore that more. What are you looking at? <laughs> what is that look? Nothing. I just I farted, and I heard it oh, in no. the headphones. <laughs> so. It's okay. <laughs> That's the real real. At least it's not Smello podcast. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's something uh, while I'm in, also I'm going to bring the breast pump with me and kind of focus on induced lactation with the machine as um, this kind of like, and I am calling the project my site of production, my means to seize, like an idea of like this body, that idea of my body, my choice, which is used in like pro-choice, that's like the pro-choice slogan, right? Hmm. Um, and I think it's interesting when you relate it to like we were just saying creating little workers for the capitalist labor force or whatever thinking about it a little differently thinking about this like food that I'm able to create that you know my my body's creating it to uh, support my own biological progeny is like the you know why that exists but I want to see like how that can be turned to like include non-biological kin like feeding my husband (laughs) my milk and feeding other people milk or using the milk and like uh you know people do like lactation recipes and and things milk breast milk recipes make milk for daddy i just think it's interesting i think it's interesting that like that my body and many bodies can create milk without the prerogative to feed biological progeny you know Mm -hmm. and so that's what we're going to be exploring there maybe if we have time try to get onto a more like a schedule two weeks before I leave of of you uh pumping my breasts with your mouth <laughs> just say suck a <laughs> sucking pumping, suckling pumping my breasts with, with your, your mouth I don't like that <laughs> you don't like that <laughs> so that's another thing we're gonna work on and in a way it's sort of uh I don't know related to a lot of these other 
things we've been thinking about in terms of reproduction and our bodies and what they're capable of and what we want them to be capable of, right? Yeah. Taking um, agency over that in a way. It's like bodybuilding, but for your milk ducts, yeah. your milk. What are the things that Mammaries? actually make the milk? I can't remember. Mam- oh, ducts. What are they? The called? ducts are how the milk gets from there to the out. If you know, send us an email. <laughs> and uh, I got a head. I'm getting a little acupuncture. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K halitosis, cosmic halitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am Gorgeous Taps and Temba is Tembizzle, T-E-M-B-I-Z-Z-L-E. Thanks for listening.